This episode of Harmonious Gentlemen is brought to you by Blind Man Brewing, makers of craft beer in central Alberta. Say hi to Hans. He just went to Japan. Well, if podcast episodes were the amount of money you'd have in cents if you had the denomination of every Canadian coin less than a loony, penny, nickel, dime, quarter, and half dollar, you'd know this has to be episode 91 of The Harmonious Gentleman. Nice. Uh, how are you guys doing today? Pretty good. My brain hurts after that math, though. Yeah. You can, was... I'll give you some time. It checks out, Ty. Trust me. 50, 25, <laughs> yeah. 10, 5, 1. Yeah. I think I was showing my kids... A while back, change in money. I think that I knew that number from that reason. I think we added nice. it up. Nice. So yeah. you probably had a sense, an inkling. A sense is better. Yeah. But this is what you're <laughs> Oh, that do. wasn't even what you were trying. Oh. Uh, I want to clarify the opening for the 90th episode. Graham, you asked a clarifying question about the percentage of moose calves that died by ticks. Yes, I did. And I wasn't sure of the answer. So to be clear, 90% of all moose calves that died in the state of Maine died because of ticks. It did not kill 90% of all moose calves. Correct. Okay. Still horrifying Still statistic. horrifying, but less right. horrifying. But than what's the norm, though? You know yeah, what I mean? I don't know that. Like 80? <laughs> maybe. Because maybe ticks are the mortal enemy of the moose. That could be. They sound like it. Yeah, they do. And in the numbers in Maine, they're talking. Whew. Devastating. <laughs> yeah, speaking of my Maine man, Tyler, where are we recording today? <laughs> We're at Craft Beer Commonwealth. Yeah. Nice. Um, at Nailed the name Gasoline there. Alley uh, Farmer's Market? Yeah. I think that's what it's called? Yeah. We've been meaning yeah. to come here for a long time. Yeah, we recommended it a long time ago, and we've been here a few times, mm-hmm. but we've never recorded here, so this is a first. Our friend Ryan uh, poured us some Five of Diamonds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're ready to go. Yeah, so thanks for having us. We'll come back, I think. This is a dangerous yeah. place to hang out, by the way, in terms of I'm really hungry right yeah. now, and all the food in here is ridiculous. You can smell all the different little places firing up their ovens and stoves. Yeah, there's a non-zero percent chance I get ramen right after this, <laughs> yeah. or during this if I leave. Maybe during. Yeah. Should I read an email? You know, you better. Yeah. Okay. We got one from from Peter. Who? Peter. The Peter? The Peter. Oh. It says, Dear gents, my pet peeve is when people criticize the exaggerated use of literally. <laughs> Miriam Webster gives room for this in its definition of literally. And then he copy and pasted in. <laughs> Ouch. The... <laughs> The definitions from Merriam-Webster. And the first definition says, in a literal sense or manner, meaning actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Which is... Which is the way you were... The way that I was bothered by people misusing it, according to that definition. But the secondary definition... But it's not like you didn't understand that. Right. Okay. The second definition does say, in effect, virtually. So, not actual, virtual. Basically. So... Yeah. Or so what would usage be a number two. Anyways, I'll read what Peter said before I get too defensive. It says, <laughs> too late. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do not think it is poor grammar to use literally in a hyperbolic sense. I also agree with Miriam that much of the time it is unnecessary, which also kind of agrees with me. He's just saying that I uh, annoyed him by being annoyed <laughs> by yeah. people misusing that. Nice. Term. I mean, we did sort of talk about how there's some, over time, language has morphed. That's yeah. right. That, that wasn't yeah. in the dictionary, what, 20, 30 years yeah. ago. Yeah. It's exactly. almost in a response to the way the word's being used now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand that. 
But it's a pet but peeve. But it still annoys me. It's yeah. a pet peeve, right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be completely logical or objectively right. true. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. Ben, Miriam. Hey, let's just make a quick announcement here about our book club. Mm-hmm. Because we mentioned a few episodes back that we were doing a book club episode. Of course, the book... Um, everybody loves your body. Everyone loves my body. <laughs> the wisdom of my body. Yeah. Wisdom of your body. The wisdom of your body. It's a tricky title, honestly. Yeah. 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 And there's a lot of body word books out there right now. Yeah. yeah. You'll find if you go to the place this book is sold. Yeah. Yeah. It's grouped with other books that have similar titles. It'd be so funny if we came together in two weeks and I read the wrong <laughs> we book. All read, we all read <laughs> right. a different book. But uh, we are definitely all within the pages of the book. Mm-hmm. We are making time. And so we decided, yes, the next episode is the time to discuss. So yeah. if you are reading alongside of us or would like to get on that uh, boat with us, please do. Um, I imagine yeah. it'll be released in probably three to four weeks, somewhere in there. So. Um, yeah, that's oh, the wisdom yeah. of your body by Hillary McBride. Nice. If you want to make sure you get PhD. the right book. right? I should actually say in two weeks because when this actually comes out, it'll be two weeks from the next one. So yeah, and if you want to form an opinion before us, or just let us tell you <laughs> how it is, mm-hmm. right? Are you guys uh, just give me like don't say much about what you guys think, but Chris, or yes or no, are you enjoying it? Um, oh. Yes. Yes. Okay, Tyler. Yes. I'm not. You. Okay. So that's that's a good place to pause. In that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna we each we love these episodes where we each bring a topic that the other two gents don't really know about. So we're doing that today mm-hmm. with science adjacent ideas or themes. Yeah. Correct? You guys I are like adjacent is a good word there. Okay. Okay. And we're gonna hit that pretty quick after we recommend our yep. favorite things. Oh man. In our lives. So much favoritism. These recommendations are brought to you by Cilantro and Chive, serving up fresh, simple eats while supporting their community and spreading the love. Hey guys, we're back and we're discussing recommendations. And I'm going to start because I'm really excited about my recommendation. But this is one of those ones that, well, Chris, you just we just talked about this. <laughs> You're like, that's a tough one to recommend mm-hmm. because it's not for everyone. Do you know right. what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, some recommendations. I'm 100 percent of people I know should go ahead. This one. Maybe 20%, but those 20% would love it. It's a movie. It's on Crave, and it's called The Banshees of Inishirin, I think is how you say it. Inishirin. Inishirin. And it stars uh, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, and it is uh, a really weird... I I don't want to say anything about it, because I don't think you should really know what's going to happen. It's about relationships. It's about relationships. It's about... There's a lot of themes. It's slow. (laughs) The cinematography and the visuals are breathtaking Mm -hmm. in terms of Ireland and... Uh, but the movie itself, uh, the less I say, the better. So if you're into a movie that is kind of slower, but really meaningful, fantastic script, kind of funny, might call it a dark comedy. Yeah, That might be the category, but it's also quite dramatic as well. Amazing performances. Gosh, blew me away. I loved it. So the, the 80% who you are predicting <laughs> won't like this. <laughs> Is it because it will disgust them or scare them or I wouldn't disturb say disgust. Them? It's a little, a little well, I don't minor s- disgust. Yeah, I don't want to say anything because it, it when you start watching it, you do, I, I kept saying like, what is this movie? Like, what is the you know what's gonna like? It's not a typical you know the plot when you start watching kind of movie. You don't. Okay. And that's what I like about it. It's quite. It almost feels like a play, a stage play, put into a movie. I don't know. My beautiful wife Shanna had it recommended to her, and she was mad at the person who recommended <laughs> it because she hated it. <laughs> 
And it was our son who recommended it. She said, why would anybody think I would like this? Yeah. But this is I, one, I really did. This is one, speaking of our friend Peter, that he would love. Oh, yeah, he would. Okay. He would love this film. Yeah. He would. Good Which it. helps the 80% realize yeah. if they're going to like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> the Banshees of Inishirin. Inishirin. Good call. And if it's not for you, then watch Talk Good Maverick. Whatever. Yeah, those are opposite ends of the spectrum <laughs> yeah. movies right there. All right. Do you want to go, Chris? Sure. I'll recommend uh, Meeting Your Heroes. So I was in chapters the other day, went to pick up a book <laughs> called Gravity Falls. The, uh, yeah. Do you guys know the show Gravity yeah, Falls? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so there's a, like a scrapbook, book three, Gravity Falls. Anyway, t- there's a, you know, those stickers recommended by yeah. the staff member, Jason. I thought, oh, cool, Jason. I've picked a couple of his books before, and I knew I'd like this book. Anyway, I didn't need his recommendation. But when I took it to the counter, he said, the person helping me said, hey, you took my book. And I was like, is this the author of... No, it was Jason. <laughs> you met Jason? I met Jason. Oh. It was kind of fun to talk to him about books. So yeah. I'm kind of recommending chapters, Jason's taste in books, and the Gravity Falls scrapbook. That's awesome. Okay. That reminds me of that Seinfeld episode where Elaine likes the yeah. pics. From the, what's the guy's <laughs> yeah. name, though? Yeah. Being like a teenager uh, it's or like something. like a kid. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she kind of falls in love with him before meeting him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jason, thanks a lot. Good job, Jason. Yeah, that's cool. Would you would you say he's your hero? No. Okay. Was- no. He and he was like like the guy in I never thought of that in the, in Seinfeld. He was like yeah. he looked like he was about seventeen. <laughs> Vincent. I was like, Vincent. Vincent. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to recommend a podcast. It's called Huberman Labs, and it was actually recommended to me by a Jason as well. Whoa! Same um, Jason? Not the same. Oh. This Jason does not work at chapters, but um, yeah, it's called Huberman Lab, and it's. Uh, a guy named Dr. Andrew Huberman and it's all it's neuroscience and uh, behavior health um, hmm. yeah and he, he puts it it's pretty sciencey like but he's trying to educate kind of on a platform that's free right I get the he always talks about that how he's a university Stanford School of Medicine kind of guy, but he's trying to get this information out there in an accessible way. Mm. And yeah, I really like it. It's, but it's they're long episodes. Was he it's, the fitness guy? You yeah, sent us I that? shared yeah. a link with you guys before too. And but he covers all kinds of things. It's not yeah. just health. It's, um, it's lifestyle type things like yeah. how to maximize the use of caffeine, um, mm. and yeah, it's cool. Awesome. Huberman Labs. I'd say about 32% Perfect. of listeners would appreciate it. We'll combine that with mine. We're over 50%. We're doing mm-hmm. well. And 48% of people would really like Jason. So we're, yeah, we're okay. there. Jason. And okay. 100% of the people who actually listen to our podcast uh, recommendations uh, yeah. is like two. So I don't know how <laughs> they're going to split that up. I don't, I've had some good talks with folks. Cut over. <laughs> Pie chart. Speaking of good folks over the years, if you're still listening... You're amazing. This is yeah. 91 episodes, you guys. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I maxed out at 92. So. Really quickly, Graham, is 91 a prime number? Uh, I think it is, yeah. I think so too, but I'm My not instinct sure. tells me yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. Let's find out during the break. <laughs> this harmonious conversation is brought to you by 5024 General Store, bringing skateboards, fashion, and creativity to Central Alberta communities. Check them out online or in beautiful downtown Lacombe. 
13 times 7 equals uh, 91. I just want to point out to all of our listeners that I'm a math teacher, but I'm humble. And I've been humbled. 91 is not, in fact, prime. Yeah. And, it happens. Uh, but you know what happens? I'll you had a 50 50 chance. Yeah. Chris put you on the spot. <laughs> totally did. Yeah. Not really. I could erase it, but I'm yeah. not going to. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll start this uh, kind of sharing time. Uh, yeah. Sharing time. And uh, I'm using a book that I haven't really read. It was on my bookshelf to read next. But then when we started The Wisdom of Your Body, this one got pushed. But I, I was looking through, I've looked through it a little bit, and I found a few excerpts that I thought would be interesting to share. Um, the book is called The Political Mind. A Cognitive Scientist's Guide to Your Brain and Its Politics. It's by George Lakoff. And basically it's about the science behind how our brains understand politics. And there's, I'll read a couple things that I, I thought were interesting. Cool. First, it says, this is kind of just an overview of what this book is trying to do. The political mind explains why so many Americans are willing to vote against their own self-interests what handcuffs the media and why so many progressive leaders don't seem to make much progress. So that kind of got me right away, right? This whole yeah. idea. And I'm a social studies teacher. I, I like talking about um, politics and, and I also like science. I've mentioned the Huberman lab podcast and this mm -hmm. is kind of in that vein too. It's about neuroscience. Like how does our brain affect our behaviors politically specifically here? The, the author is actually a linguist as well. So the w first part I want to share with you guys is about that. It's about language and um, morality. Okay, hmm. you ready for this? Language and morality. My yes. My favorite two topics. Okay. <laughs> and then you're going to, then there is the connection to um, political ideology, but okay. I'll kind of leave that um, for you guys to think about. So there's this whole chart in the middle of the book and it starts with uh, like a situation you are better off if you can stand upright than if you cannot right mm -hmm. that's just a statement about that's pretty universal like people would say yes it's better to be able to stand upright than not be able to okay and then the second section of the table um, is morality like morality is and then it's um, I'll, if I'll go with that example it says morality is uprightness Right, like our language is based on that idea oh, okay. of how being upright is being better than not. Right, okay. so morality—we actually use that phrase to be an upright, um, like an upstanding citizen. citizen. Right, like that's that's the linguistic example. So it has a a linguist. The moral imperative has a linguistic example. origin. Yeah, so it's like okay. how we have these kind of understandings of the world that um, shape our morality, and then our language okay. reflects that. So there's a few like I that was the first one. I guess as to where you're going to go with this. <laughs> um, so I'll just kind of skip through. You're better off if you're functioning in the light than in the dark. So morality is light, immorality is darkness, mm -hmm. and then the linguistic examples: um, the Prince of Darkness, mm -hmm. uh, White Knight, Blackhearted. Is he making yeah. um, a comment about this, or simply pointing out that this is how we use language? Well, it it ties into how our political ideologies are shaped by the language we okay, use. Okay. You're better off if you eat pure food than if you eat rotten food. Morality is purity. We say that was a rotten thing to do. Yeah. 
that was disgusting or tainted by scandal. Um, you were in a pretty fresh outfit. Right. Is that something you would yeah. say? Some of these things, even someone? as you're saying them, I'm thinking, like, duh, of course we say that. But that's probably because yeah. it's ingrained in me that this is how we talk. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're better off if you're healthy than if you're sick. So morality is health and immorality is a disease. So talk about terrorism is spreading, right? We use like that sickness um, kind of metaphor, mm -hmm. the contagion of crime, a sick mind, and so on. So I just thought this was kind of interesting that there's this, that our, the language we use, not, not individually, but like collectively as a society is connected to a certain version of morality. Okay. So that's just, I thought that was interesting. Oh, I'll read the last one because it, it gets a little more about society. You're better off if you don't challenge those with more power than you, than if you do. So that's kind of the, you're oh. better off if you don't challenge than if you do challenge. So morality is moral order. Mm -hmm. It's maintaining order within a hierarchy of power. Interesting. And the linguistic example for this would be a society in chaos, right? That's where there isn't law and order or a moral order. Okay. So do you guys see where that one mm -hmm. might play a role in our politics? Yeah, for sure. Well, so, like, oh, go ahead. Are these, like, is this the way that it should be? You know, like, are, yeah. th these are all, like, that's, yeah, of course it makes sense ling linguistically and, like, but should we challenge any of these or should... Like, like, why are they the status quo? I don't want to be rotten or unhealthy, so I'm going right. to keep using this language. But the last thing there was a little more provocative. For sure. I, I thought you were going to get to a place where you were talking about right and left wing, maybe. But right. we didn't get there. But he, he does, throughout this book, talk about progressivism and conservatism. Yeah. And I, I mean, I haven't read the whole book, but from like, I've looked for things like that that just get me thinking a little bit. And I'm going to read this later, like from scanning it like it's there's enough there for me to want to dive a bit deeper yeah but it is about like the the language i i would say from reading a little bit he's saying that as a society we are we need to be aware of these things but then also respond to the the challenges of um kind of misunderstanding our own reason i don't know like if that makes sense, but we, he challenges the idea that, that we actually understand reason. He well, argues that we don't, hmm. like we're just kind of going with the flow. And if we want to change the flow, we have to understand the linguistic aspect of well, it. Well, even the idea of if you challenge the current order of things, you're outside of your moral imperative kind of like that's, mm -hmm almost like the divine right of kings or something like where mm -hmm. yeah. these old ideas that sort of never go away. Yeah. And he does talk a lot about um, the enlightenment and like different philosophers, um, the divine right of king, like those thoughts and that, that we haven't really evolved right. from that. We haven't gotten past that. We're still using 18th century thinking in the 21st century. It's amazing how much we, we just chose these three topics in a rat on our own, but there's a lot of overlap. No, oh, yeah. I'm going to talk about later on. Hmm. It's not so much like linguistic in nature, but it's related for sure. Hmm. Linguistic. I think I said linguistic. Linguistic. So I have another excerpt that I'll share with you guys to just to kind of wrap this segment up. But it says, 
What conservatives did was to use language, ideas, images, and symbols repeatedly to activate the conservative mode of thought and inhibit the progressive mode of thought in individuals who had both. Right, so we both, I think, have, we all have a bit of those sure. modes, right? So to what extent? This ing increased the synaptic strength of the neurons in the circuitry characterizing conservative thought and did the opposite to progressive thought. The relatively greater activation strength of the conservative mode of thought increased the likelihood of its being neurally bound to conservative framings of particular issues. This gradually made people more and more conservative, though in most cases, not wholly so. Progressives can reverse the process, hmm. is what I'm saying. So, and then there's a chapter in between what I just read and what I'm going to read next, but it talks about um, how it change does not come overnight. Say things not once, but over and over. Brains change when ideas are repeatedly activated. I think that's what, like, people... Okay, this is very, uh, what's the word? I'm going to make a huge overstatement here. Okay. People, when they're young, are progressive. And they achieve what they sort of fight for and get to a place where they don't want it to change any further. And now they're conservative. Like, I, that seems like the life cycle of a person's mm. political brain yeah. right like I've, heard, I've heard that before we've gotten to this place now whoa that's that now i'm comfortable that i don't want things to be more progressive than this yeah I've that got, just seems to be like the the way of things in my mind but i'm waiting for that shift to happen this is anecdotal for myself but like that hasn't happened yet i, I feel like i'm actually moving the other direction as i get older yeah me too hmm. um and i'm not super old so maybe that will shift for sure my dad would say that to me growing up all the time like you're going to be yeah what you just said you're going to be progressive younger and you're going to be funny even even him these days maybe not so much either huh. too but uh i think you're generally i think it's generally probably correct though i think people get comfortable they get their house they have their setup it's like don't change don't things on me now, boat now yeah, like I've got, maybe you know which can be seen as maybe selfish like i you know i got mine and so um this is what i'm comfortable with but do you think that's true generally, Ty? Yeah, but I'd agree with you that it, it's not the case for myself. And I, maybe I just haven't reached the, the age where I mm -hmm. become conservative. But I, I think that that section about um, the moral order is something that is taught to us as mm -hmm. we grow up. But there's a hierarchy and this is, it is moral to have, kind of like you said, our house, it's in order things are the way they're supposed to be and then that is moral that is good yeah but i don't at this point i don't agree with that but i can feel that like you don't agree of, that right. that's good or you don't right agree maybe that, that, that isn't morality right but i feel that that is morality because of kind Your of like this guy saying just the, the language we use what we've been taught what we even see in society so um i kind of like where this guy's going from what it feels like it, it feels like he's pushing back on that um, kind of questioning the what the world is telling us politically it's but, good to cool. question the motivations of those things too like in mm -hmm. whose interest is it if what I do is follow that moral code yeah. like is it in my self interest is it yeah. what's good for society does it benefit yeah. Some capitalist well, guy yeah. who's selling me the idea. Maybe the the statement of as you get older, you become more conservative. It's because you find yourself 
at the top of that hierarchy maybe a little more like it's not like the adults your, to kids like your now power you're and the adult has with increased. the power and now you have yeah. the power and privilege so, so progressivism like, yeah, threatens you <laughs> yeah well and a lot maybe. of what you hear from the older generation and i think this is true of, of many generations in a row is like what is the ridicule to the you're lazy yeah you don't want to work hard it's when always I was your age i worked this hard sure. when i was it's all it's that whole i earned this you don't seem to want to earn this or you're not willing to fight yeah. like i did therefore you don't deserve it and I mean, the people who are saying that now, their parents did the same thing about them when they were hippies in the 60s that's and right. 70s. Like, it's not like that's changed a whole lot. In fact, I would argue that the, the crippling state of inflation and <laughs> wages, I think, is making it even harder for younger people these days to, to get a leg up, you know, than it was yeah. 50 years ago. The cost of school, for instance, but that's a whole other thing. Tyler, I appreciate you bringing the book to us. I think we should probably roll along. Okay. Because uh, it sounds like we can keep going. Um, finish the book. Get back yeah, to I us. Will. Yeah. yeah. So there's probably lots more good stuff in there. Yeah, I wonder if he'll be a conservative by the time he's done the book. Yeah. <laughs> he's wearing a MAGA hat. Did you notice that? <laughs> that is, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was just the red Blue Jays hat, but <laughs> no. I see it now. Chris, are you going to go next? Sure. Okay. Oh, thanks, Tyler, for that. I feel funny going next because mine is a little more practical or a lot more practical. All right. I was uh, just thinking about different scientific ideas that have recently come to light, and this one kind of caught my attention. It has to do with the problem of plastic. Do you know how much plastic we produce in a year, guys? The world produced in 2019, which I think are the most recent statistics, 460 million tons of plastic. There has been enough plastic produced since the early 1900s when it started. There's a cumulative total of 9.5 billion tons of plastic that have been produced, which is one ton, more than a little over one ton for every human being on earth, which that is like when a you ton? think of it that way, wow. a ton of plastic for every person. Yeah. That's kind of ridiculous. Plastic is actually pretty amazing. It does some really good things and there's lots of yeah. good benefits. It's lightweight and strong. It's cheap to manufacture. It's sterile, so healthcare uses it a lot. I didn't know that. It reduces emissions because it's lighter. It's easier to transport things. Pretty much everything we use as a consumable, it comes in plastic, is stored in plastic, keeps it longer. It's easy to transport, cheaper to transport, keeps food lasting longer, makes it more affordable. It's additives in all kinds of things. So it's like literally everywhere. And there's we know with microplastics and stuff, it's causing starting to cause a lot of trouble in our environment. Um, yeah. 9% of all the plastic that was produced last year was recycled, which, so out of 460 million tons, nine? only nine. 9% was recycled. The other two ways of getting rid of it are incinerating it or putting it in a landfill. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys have been to Central America. One thing I noticed when I was in Nicaragua was the amount of plastic that was just on the ground. Like people will use one single-use plastics and then just litter it and then you see it just everywhere and i asked somebody there like what happens to this and they said oh we just wait till the rainy season and it just washes into the down the rivers and into the (laughs) creek beds and into the ocean or whatever yeah or they rake it into piles and burn it so you can smell burning plastic kind of all the time when you're in countries like that so there's some i think we use more plastic here and we maybe have a better way of eliminating some of it at least from the like our vision yeah but it's a yeah. problem everywhere for sure so the um but we use paper straws now 
Yes, yeah, that's really helping. <laughs> I think yeah. though there are governments who are making rules like that, like yeah. where yeah. Uh, single-use plastics are no longer allowed. I was having this talk with Shanna the other day. She said, you know, we always use our grocery bags that we'd get at the store as also our liners for our garbage cans. Yeah. So we were using those twice, quote unquote, once yeah. to carry our groceries, sure, yeah. once to throw out garbage. And now if you buy a garbage bag for your house, you're only using that once. She thought yeah. that was kind of hmm. sort of hypocritical maybe. And so there's lots of things like hmm. I think we're still figuring a lot of that out. But eliminating plastic is good. It just there's no way we will because we're using so much. Right. So. This um, headline that I saw was that there's, oh, maybe before I say that, yeah. what do you think about, like, we're not going to eliminate plastic. Do you ever no. think about yeah, plastic like, being a problem? Sometimes is I it? think about, like, and it, this is sort of analogous to a lot of other environmental catastrophes that humans have, have caused with their consumption, but plastics are one where when you say, like, we'll never get rid of it. Yeah. I just wish that for, for it wasn't the end of the argument for a lot of people. Like, people will say that about a lot of things. Well, you, you can't stop it. It's like, well, that's, yeah. that's fine. But there are many, many ways we can cut back. And simply yeah. by cutting back and moderating our use, you can help, right? So even like the straw idea, like I get that they suck and a lot of students complain about it. But it's like yeah. at least, I mean, wh- whether or not the intentions are purely uh, for advertising, for comp- whatever, at sure. least it's something. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, get, I get tired of the cynicism of just like, well, it's not even worth trying because... Yeah. You know, I do hear a lot, especially with a lot of our students, you hear yeah. that kind of mocking tone. It's like, well, you either do something or you don't. And yeah. um, and just to be clear, my comment was like fake cynicism. Probably. Right. <laughs> but have you, have, you, have you used the paper straw? They do suck. Yeah, they no, do. Like, they're not, not yeah. in a good but, way. But they're terrible. <laughs> well, but, uh, they're like, not as good as a plastic straw. But I think not. we can agree on that. Yeah. But like if it's, it sucks to drink your Coke from McDonald's now, like, oh, poor baby. Like. <laughs> <laughs> just go to McDonald's well, less, or I don't know. Yeah, it, yeah. I it, it, it's also that sort of privilege thing where it's like I we had it this way for a long time. This is the way it's got to be, you know. And it's not anymore. And I it's think not a reality. What worries me a little bit about is those moves. Yeah, potentially make people less likely to be activists because yeah. they go, oh, the one thing that we're doing is a terrible thing. Sure. sure. So now I'm cynical about yeah, it, and that's fair too. So let me tell you about a cool yeah. thing that somebody's okay. doing. Okay. All right. So this lady. Um, was using wax worms in her composting and she found out that the wax worm um, larva saliva can bio recycle plastics so she went to her compost after the winter and found that she, I think she had a couple of water bottles in with her compost accidentally which are probably a lot of things that happen in science happen kind of eureka moments right yeah so she goes in and finds that these it looked like these worms had chewed through some plastic bottles. But in fact, what had happened was their saliva, the enzyme in their saliva, had recycled the plastic in terms of breaking it down to no longer being there. Like, the holes that were caused were because the enzyme in the saliva actually ate through the oh, plastic. Really? Okay. So there are some wow. concerns about the um, carbon dioxide that's emitted. Mm-hmm. But that even that, that I think, could be captured if you did this right. So sure. what these... Cool. group of people are thinking is they if you could create a system where you have these mass amounts of these wax worms mm-hmm. uh, they would be able to or find other ways that biologically yeah. you can recycle plastic and return it to either oil again and I think there is a way of doing that or um, yeah releasing it as carbon dioxide yeah. I think it's really cool when you see or when we discover solutions to problems in nature 
Yeah. Like that's where I think a lot of our innovation and a, a lot of science is studying nature and then applying it to mm-hmm. our needs. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. Is that is that waxworm thing new? Yeah. Like I the, haven't heard of it. The article I saw was from 2022. Okay. So, and I think then it just got me thinking, what other ways are people using to get rid of plastics? And there's lots of really practical things, especially in third world countries where they're cleaning watersheds, rivers, creeks, tributaries, yeah. cleaning the plastic out of them, using filtration systems so that they're not impacting like the migration of fish and birds, but they're getting the plastics out. And then a lot of that, I think, ends up back in landfills, but at least it's not in yeah. places like the water system. Yeah. Um, there's the kind of clever ways to get plastic out of the oceans. And I think if you've heard of that Pacific Ocean um, plastic patch, it's yeah. bigger than New Zealand now, I think. Yeah. Like, mm. it's just inordinately it's humongous. The yeah. <laughs> With the way the currents get the plastics all to move around the ocean, they end up piling up, and it's well, like that, a small continent. Did you come across... There's, there's literature and there's stuff that deals with like the fact that we like if you're a human being on earth you have microplastics in your system now yeah yeah like you almost can't avoid it you can't avoid it it's in the food chain the parts per million of yeah it's in your blood it's in your saliva it's in your it's coming back at us it's in fish it's in yeah Yeah. and it's everywhere including i think alaska and yeah antarctica yeah so it's good that people are thinking of things to yeah better ideas than and yeah use less plastic if you can recycle where you can i think like those Make choices are, as a consumer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it is yeah. just consumer choices can make a big difference, and then the little acts like I think you said Shanna talked about using the same bag twice. Yeah, like if you imagine like that's like cutting in half the amount of plastic bags you use. Like that's yeah, that's a big that's impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, plastics use less. There you go. That's Way to go, science! You brought like a new discovery to us. Had a little talk about sustainability maybe Wonder we'll that. all have little waxworm things in our backyard like yeah in your recycling compost you'll just yeah. have a waxworm bucket that'd be really kind of cool, cool. Oh, go cool. to home depot and get a bucket of wax and you worms. feed them to your chickens and grow your own eggs look at that and they have a plastic shop <laughs> <laughs> really good for easter <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you pop <laughs> them you open just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah okay i'm gonna close up our our science talks here with a topic that has to do with something Chris, are you happy? In general, yes. Tyler, are you happy? Uh, yes. Right now I am. Okay. Do you think, Chris, you have a high level of emotional well-being? Yes. Well, it depends on the indicators, but I think so. Okay. What about your life evaluation score when you think deliberately about your life? No idea. How does it feel? <laughs> is that self? Like, a, a, Is that a self-evaluation? Well, there's sort of two ways you can evaluate yourself in, in terms of what I'm going to talk okay. about. Uh, emotional well-being yeah and that's basically the uh, emotional uh, um, uh, quality of an individual's everyday life experience so just your typical day are you emotionally well or fulfilled Hmm. it's also the life evaluation half which is the thoughts you have about your own life when you actually think about it so not your day-to-day emotional but just like when you sit and think about i like that those are two different things well in the study i'm going to talk about they kind of had to differentiate between those two things because it's hard because they're trying to evaluate how happy you are that's the idea behind this. Like the happiness index? Sort of, yes. It relates to that. So this is a study. Um, by the way, the, the topic that I'm bringing to you guys is called behavioral economics, and it's quite similar to what Tyler talked about earlier. Um, I'll read uh, a little thing here about what it is. Um, at first, 
um, economists thought all human beings were rational and made intelligent choices, basically on a day-to-day -day basis. Like you're rational, you think things through, you yeah. decide things. Um, but they're wrong. Okay, that doesn't happen. You, you can probably guess that, right? That's not a spoiler. It says that people do weird stuff all the time that you can't account for, un unwillingly and even unconsciously. And so behavioral economics is a field that studies how the behavior of people leads to erratic economics. It's kind of a bridge to psychology. So it has to do with... Like we make emotionally driven choices or we make right, subconsciously... But it's, but it's specifically tied to economics as well. Okay. Um, like our buying, purchasing choices. Yeah, money, um, salaries, things like that. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's a new field. Um, this is a multi multidisciplinary approach combines two vastly different areas, economics and behavior, in an effort to understand how humans can live happier lives is the sort of crux behind this whole idea. So it's not a super... It relates to a lot of fields of science and behavior and kind of what you talked about too, Tyler, earlier. Um, but... Uh, the article I found, and it was actually a study, was based on um, income uh, level. Okay. 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 So anyway, when I came across this this topic, um, there's lots, a lot of different fields, uh, articles, examples. So the one I'm going to bring to you guys today is a, a study uh, done from Princeton, um, and it talks about the the income level, um, or how how much your happiness is tied to your income level. Okay. That's the idea. Yeah. So, like, is there is it is it is it a curve that goes on forever? Yeah. Or the more does, money you have, does the, it even exist? Does yeah. money actually equal happiness? And this has obviously been talked about in for, for many many years. This is a cool study but because now we I, got science behind it, right? Mm -hmm. And so I read this, this article, and it's it's good. I mean, I think I think you know, there's obviously some gaps in there, and it's not perfect. Um, but I'll I'll read to you guys what the what the study found, and then um, if actually you could, I'll tell you later what it was actually called. You can look it up. It's called High Income Improves Evaluation of Life, but Not Emotional Well-Being. That's what it's called. Okay. Okay. That's um, why they separated them out. Exactly. Yeah. And there, there's methodology behind why they separate them out. I mean, it's a really hard thing to measure. Are you happy? I think a lot of people would say sure. But how do you measure how much more happy someone is than someone else? That's hard to do. Yeah. Um, so the study found, and I forget how many people were involved in the study, but it was in the thousands. It was quite, quite a lot. Um, and there's... Look, I'm not going to go into all the details of the actual study right now. Um, I did read it. It was interesting. If you're into that sort of thing, uh, it's worth reading. Um, do you guys guess? So I'll tell you this right now. There, there's, a, an income, there's an income level where they could definitely measure an increase of happiness or and emotional well-being. Individual income level. Right. So In, like we're talking like... Okay, I've got a number. Income, Wait. That, that, it, that it, it's clearly rising, but above this point, it, the happiness index sort of plateaus. Okay, is Above this, this the because there's the two different kind this of combines types. this? this oh, it's combining the, the two. The study tries to combine the two. They asked a different set of questions and they combine them. So again, I won't go through the entire methodology, but but they try to parse out those two different things. So like the day-to-day -day happiness and the like self-reflective satisfaction with they, your. They ask questions pertaining to both categories okay. in okay. kind of a pretty clever way. I thought I read the questions. Um, and again, lots cool. of details in the study, but overall, their their results. What do you guys think? Give me a per year income, household income. A hundred thousand. Oh, I was going to say 80. Okay. Um, cool. So the studies, th this study is from 10 years ago and then things have been done with it. So just, so back when the study was done, they said $75,000 US, which is a hundred thousand US now in terms of buying oh. power. Nice. I was close too. Which is about 130,000 <laughs> Canadian right now. Oh, okay. So it, 
if you sort of... I no mean, wonder be, I'm not happy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's about 100 and... I mean, I would say 120 to 130 is that level wow. where, you know, you're, yeah, you're feeling better and better. And then beyond that, they didn't find a lot of data. Now, they do talk about emotional well-being, and that is different. Yeah. Right? Like, that doesn't always... That's not as always clear. Hmm. Um, but in terms of just, like, your evaluation of your life... Right, that's pretty clear. That beyond 120 to 130,000, your evaluation is not that different. Which is kind of crazy if you think about. A, a lot of people just desire you want know, to be a millionaire, you want more money, but like really, beyond a certain point, there's not a lot of data that backs that up. Hmm. Okay. Whether or not you agree with that, you want a Lamborghini that will make you happy. You know, I talk to my son all the time about like new Lego sets don't make you happy <laughs> long term. <They're laughs> you know, they do for a time. Um, what do you guys feel about that? Did, what does your gut tell you about about that number? Does that make sense to you? Would you have guessed that? Well, we we I were mean, both fairly close. Like Tyler it, nailed it. It's, I think, below that number, it becomes difficult to to live at a standard that seems appropriate. I guess okay. as an adult, sure. like yeah. And that doesn't mean it's. I think that's right, but that's the way I could I could see people below that number. Well, I'm below that number too, but yeah. feeling like I don't have enough or, and if you're far enough below that number, you probably don't actually have enough to yeah. meet what you, what you need. But then once you get to that, that, that seems like the number where, okay, anything above that is bigger vehicles, yeah. more holidays. Like so your, your basic needs are met. Your basic needs are met and you're, yeah. yeah. You agree? Yeah. They, they say here, more money does not necess- necessarily buy more happiness, but less money is clearly associated with emotional pain. Perhaps 75000 again, 10 years ago, is a threshold beyond which further increases in income no longer improve individuals' ability to do mm-hmm. what matters most to their emotional well-being, like spending time with people they like, avoiding pain and disease, and enjoying leisure. Um, and then they, there's more statistics about, the, this is a U.S. study. Um, the U.S. household income, uh, median income back then was, uh, oh, $52,000 a couple of years before this study. And so uh, only a third of households are above that threshold that they came up with. So it's, they're suggesting that's a problem. <laughs> they're suggesting like we're creating an, uh, a society where two-thirds statistically don't have a good life evaluation or happiness index. It, it's not, this is not yeah. a political study in, in any way whatsoever. It's just... It's super interesting, though. It is, right? And it, it, it is one of those things to keep in perspective, too. Just, yeah, it's easy to just maybe judge people, maybe, or to feel like you need more. Like, it's just good to be reminded, like, statistically speaking, you know, there's w- a level. Was this um, confined to, like, Western society? The yeah. study, like, were they in the third stu- world countries? The study was. Well, now, now you're hitting me with some details. I, I don't remember. I, I believe it's. I believe it's in the U.S. only. Because I think there would be evidence to support the fact that people in countries yeah. where the median income is way lower. But it still, but it still meets their basic needs, maybe. Yeah. Right. Like the ratio is still. The ra- yeah, maybe it's similar. a ratio thing. Because the United States, that's the amount that you need to take care of your your medical bills and get a house. Yeah. and have a car or whatever it is. I also think this idea of basic needs is subjective, mm. right? Like, yeah. like to me, I like, I kind of like that there's like the, it plateaus at a fairly reasonable number. Sure. If, if that makes sense. Like it's that, not like a million that, dollars. That you don't no. need, yeah. 
that generally people don't need as much money as maybe they as a teenager think they need to be happy but i also feel like that number is quite high like i i I know i said it's kind of where your needs are met but i think it's your needs could be met much lower than that if we have satisfaction or your right i think it's just a cultural we have social expectations or like we're comparing ourselves to each other and that drives that number up and when you factor in your own life evaluation, you are comparing. You are yeah. doing that. It oh, doesn't so just drive that number up. It also drives the economic engine, right? Like, <laughs> right. That's true. There, yeah. There is something about like scarcity and covetousness that helps Ooh. sell stuff. There's probably yeah. like a, a mathematical explanation to why it's only one third above that number, right? Like that's... Yeah. Is that what the market can that's bear? That's the scarcity, right? Yeah. Like that's... I, that's where it becomes mm-hmm. yeah the, the yeah. proper amount of supply and demand and but I would love to compare those numbers with the 1970s like I would love to know right. was it still just a third above that that level because I feel like ah that would not be the case yeah to, that's just my in, uh, hunch but anyway that's what I brought it, it's only one study dealing with behavioral economics but it's a really cool field it reminds me of a book I think I probably still have it's called The Economics of Happiness I'll see if I can oh, dig it out it's so about 10 years old that's what the study came out 10 years ago so there you go oh maybe it's, it's the same dude cool so you might have just said this but we'll is this did the study project that this is trending upwards that it's only going to go or did you say any, was there I anything did not uh, I don't think it projects anything okay it just it does it does t- it, it, yeah um, I like though how like some economic nerd like wants to quantify this. Like I just think that's cool where yeah. numbers can show us things, and it it isn't the answer, but yeah. it, it's cool to put yeah. that to uh, yeah. it, put it on a graph. That's why I like it. But it, mm-hmm. but it's also at the end of the day, is is this shocking? N- no, you want to be able to take care of your family, be with your family, be healthy. And you don't want to be perceived as poor. Like that's sure. that's yeah. uh, probably part of our DNA. Or so a long time ago, my yeah. brothers who are filmmakers, they set out to kind of call into question Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like you can't self-actualize till you have all your other needs met. Sure. And they did a lot of talking to people in countries, a lot of poor people who were happy, satisfied, and had basically nothing. Right. Yeah. Like, and they were trying to. Hmm. answer that question I think like do you have to have that to be happy interesting yeah it just makes me think of that and like it wasn't a scientific study by yeah. any means it was just talking to people but well I mean I think the whole corporate machi- I mean like expectation wise yeah. right, that is such a huge factor in this that maybe it wasn't this is an American study you know alright I like it I'm, yeah. I'm gonna read it please forward it on I will link uh, in bio right Tyler you'll put that in our Instagram yeah we say it all the time at least fans of the show <laughs> I don't even know how that works on Instagram when it says link in bio I don't know what that means or in the show notes I don't know what that means but we, we can say it let's it, talk about during the break here we'll focus in hey confession time guys so as I mentioned earlier we're at craft beer commonwealth you bet. And we've been helped by uh, our friend Ryan. And Ryan and I go back many years. We were friends in high school. We went camping, did lots of hiking trips together. 
and just seeing him today reminded me of um well a story that he actually told at my wedding in front of all the guests at my wedding <laughs> and i so if you weren't there i'll i'll share this story we were camping in i believe nordeg nordeg country which good country mm-hmm. to check out if you get the chance some backcountry hiking and camping and we had hiked in and set up camp and settled in for the night and we were sharing tents with big tents and a bunch of us in there and then in the middle of the night we woke up to a just a very strong windstorm so our camp we could hear things blowing around the the fly on our tent was whipping around and i it, it blew right off so there is a flurry of activity in the tent everyone's getting up out of their sleeping bags out of the tent and uh trying to gather our, our belongings before they blew down the mountain but I I remained in my sleeping bag and <laughs> did not because get you up were to asleep? help <laughs> I was not asleep I was awake and then the confession part is that one part is that I didn't help <laughs> I was unhelpful and then the other confession was that I I have like a sensory thing with sleeping bags where I don't like the feeling of mm sleeping in a sleeping bag it makes me feel like sticky and claustrophobic yeah and one way to remedy that would to be it seems counterintuitive but to sleep completely nude <laughs> so i was i had no clothes yeah, less all the senses yeah it makes up for the restriction of the, i get it all yeah. the senses at once so that was the <laughs> good my excuse for for not helping was right. that um they wouldn't have wanted me out there running around no um, naked with your tent fly whipping around in the wind. <laughs> so, yeah, Ryan. Seeing Ryan today just reminded me of that. <laughs> Every of that time story. you see him, you think about being <laughs> yeah. naked in tent. And then he told that that story at my wedding, that's and that's a good one. Yeah. I don't think anyone nice. likes tent, uh, sleeping bags. Really, like, like it's the flannel no. or whatever that huh? fabric is. No, I don't mind the, the when it's like the flannelly inside. It's the the really lightweight, or that silky feel. Silky, yeah. Oh. So now, now camping, I just bring like a blanket. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, but anyways, my confession is uh, speaking of environmentalism, Chris, Mm -hmm. um, been doing some some uh, some painting around the house, and uh, I tried to do the right thing the other day. I went to the dump with a bunch of different stuff, and I brought some old paint cans because you're supposed to dispose of them properly, not just in the dumpster. And so when I got there, I had five or six cans in a box, and the guy said, "Yeah, if it's all if if they're empty, they can just they can go in the." The garbage. What? Yeah, he said. As long as they're totally empty and like. Because that's what we do anyway. Well, oh, I don't. It man. felt like I was like, "Are you sure?" He's like, "Yeah, as long as there's no liquid, come on, you can put them in the bin." And I said, "Oh, okay." So I drove up. Pretty busy day, and as I'm opening the back, there's a person working there. She's helping me out, telling me what to do. And as I'm carrying the cans, I realize, oh, one of them's like fully half full. I realized at the last second, like as I picked it up, I'm like, oh, I forgot this one. It's it's old. My confession is that I, I just threw it in the just bin. heaved it in there. I did. And I, you know what I mean? In the moment, yep. there's cars waiting. I'm, I'm making excuses, but it was a confession. I threw it in the garbage. I fully knew what I was doing. I just didn't want to have to, to deal with it ask properly. Ask a two-second question and put the can somewhere else. You wonder why asthma rates are higher in central Alberta than anywhere else. <sighs> I don't anymore. <laughs> uh, so to the Red Deer Waste Management Facility, I apologize. Someone the, went in there and had to soak up all that half can of paint. <laughs> yeah. To the yeah. future generations of this fine city, I apologize. And um, But the person who I'm going to hear from the most, uh, 
I'm not going to bother even saying I'm sorry because I'm going to be in trouble no matter what happens. Right. Chris, what do you got? I hear that. Yeah. Well, I mentioned getting this great Gravity Falls journal. And what I did was bought it for my son, Spencer. He and I loved the show Gravity Falls. We'd watch that quite a bit together. And so I thought this would be a great present for him for his birthday coming up in May. But then I left it on our kitchen table. And he saw it. Hey, who bought this Gravity Falls book? Oh, no. And it turns out I do this quite often. So my confession is that I often have good gift ideas, but then I leave things around and people just <laughs> see them. And apparently I like surprises and giving things out when it's birthday time, but I often blow it. You by, spoil. And I, I don't think I do it intentionally. I just think I do it absentmindedly. I think you spend all that brain power in thinking of the idea, buying it, and then you just, the details after, you forget. Yeah. You're not yeah. mindful of that. Sometimes Shannon will be like, hey, what's this thing you're hiding under your side of the bed? But sometimes it's like, you left this out for me to see. Yeah. So, shoot. <laughs> we bought our kids a, a, a keyboard, like a fun little keyboard. Casio, no. <laughs> for Christmas with uh, some grandparent money. Anyway, we didn't give it to them because they had too many gifts already. And it's been under our bed for, well, since Christmas. And, and they haven't seen it? I don't think they've found it yet. Oh, I mean, yeah. I suppose if they listen to this episode, they're going to play know. it at night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see if they find it. Krista is probably the like the other end of the spectrum of you like she's very good at buying gifts ahead of time and hiding them and keeping them a secret and from herself even like does well, she forget no, where she, she knows where them? they are she oh. knows yeah yeah and like you like she's maybe i should just ask her for some tips yeah i think it's just not leaving it on the counter <laughs> hey speaking of tips there's a tip for our <laughs> listeners email the show mm-hmm. yeah. you should do that harmonious gentleman at gmail.com Mm-hmm. We'll right. take your emails, suggestions, criticisms, praises. And don't yeah. forget to read the book. Uh, the Wisdom of Your Body. Yeah. And join us next time when we actually try something new. On? On what? <laughs> the podcast? On, on the book. No. Oh. <laughs> we didn't talk about our Instagram oh, yet. Right. I mean, people so, know yeah. this we have point. Social media. Like 91 episodes. Go check it out. Yeah, check it out. Yeah. Honestly, just keep being hey. who you are is what I want to say. And I think the, the best thing you can do if you care for us and our podcast is tell someone to listen to it yeah. who hasn't listened to it. Yeah. yeah. We do gain new listeners. It's fun yeah. to hear people like, hey, yeah. I finally listened. They'll say something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But well, I just what feel I was waiting like, for, it's actually good. Yeah. I feel, I feel like people's lives will be improved. Like you're going to help them. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a good chance. It's like you can recycle plastic and you can recommend the gentleman. I mean, it's. Yeah. Your happiness index will go up. Yeah. 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 And you'll be a progressive. Yeah. See you next time. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) guys, this is called the Harmonious Gentleman, and then we'll see you next time. Nice. Yes, that is what we are called.